too. In fact, let me just pray for that, and we'll get started. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your people, Israel, are a special people to you, and we pray this evening uh, for peace in their borders. Uh, would you, who establish the boundaries of nations and countries, would you uh, reinstitute those, those boundaries um, as you choose and as you see fit. Uh, we pray for the peace of Israel, that she would recognize uh, Jesus and that they would truly have peace in their hearts. Uh, we pray for them. We pray for ourselves tonight. Your Holy Spirit is welcome here. Please come. Be our teacher tonight. Lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. And we thank you for it and pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's keep doing the Old Testament. Second Samuel, which is really Samuel, broken up into first and second Samuel, but it's really Samuel. It's the story of the monarchy. Um, tonight, very familiar um, phrase that you've heard for David before. He's a man after God's own heart. Um, if you had a chance to read these past few chapters, as well as 8 through 10, you're seeing a lot of things that would show you, um, point out to you, that he is a man after God's own heart. And so, he's walking in faith, victory, and blessing, especially in chapter 8 and chapter 10 today. Uh, he's defeating everyone in sight, which is what he's supposed to be doing. He's establishing the peace, safety, and security of Israel by conquering her enemies on every front. He's a man of integrity. This is chapter 9. He's a man of integrity, keeping his word to Jonathan through Mephibosheth. Yes, Mephibosheth will be on the final. Uh-huh. Spelling Mephibosheth. Yeah. It, uh, trust me, it separates the A's from the A minuses. <laughs> Mephibosheth. He's using his power and influence for good everywhere he turns. And he truly is a man after God's own heart. When you read chapter 7, and then you read 8, 9, and 10, you really see David uh, doing so many things well and so many things right. And so the big idea for tonight, not surprisingly, is walking as a man or woman after God's own heart. What does such a person look like? How can we use David's example for ourselves? So let's take a look at David. How did he walk in such a way to be called a man after God's own heart. First, he pursued God's promises. So you think God's promises for David are really the context of 8, 9, and 10, particularly 8. David desired every bit of God's covenant inheritance for himself and his country. Genesis 15 should be familiar to you. 
Abrahamic covenant, good, and then 15, we're going to talk about some land. And so way back in Genesis, which was recorded, and um, I'm guessing, I think it's a good guess, that David would have read these things multiple times. And so he understood what the borders, what the boundaries of the promised land would have looked like. Uh, He would have been he could have gotten reinforced in that in Deuteronomy 7 and also in Joshua 13. Joshua 13, where the Lord says, I give it to you a little bit at a time. I'm not going to give it to you all at once. I'll give it to you a little bit at a time as you can fight for it and control it. And then 2 Samuel 7:25, he's asking the Lord to fulfill the promise of chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, with him as well. David wants what God has promised to Israel and to himself. He wants that. So he steps out on tiptoe, so to speak. Somebody said, what does it mean to to look expectantly, to wait expectantly? Um, If you were never, as a child, you know, some towns had parades. And remember as a child, you, you know, you stood up on tiptoe to see the parade coming. That's what expectancy looks like. You're standing up on tiptoe waiting to see what's coming. And so David has stepped out on tiptoe, expectant for what God would do. God said it, David believed it, and he acted on it in faith. Under Saul, they lost territory to the enemies around them. So as David comes on the scene, he reclaims the lost land, and he secures Israel's growing borders. And he extended the kingdom's influence farther than it ever had been before. Under David, the kingdom grew. Under Solomon, it'll grow more, but under David, it grows to the largest, almost largest it ever got. So David is pursuing God's promises to Israel and to himself, and he's doing that with a lot of expectancy. So what are some promises that God has made to us? Here are just some examples to refresh your memory. His provision, Matthew chapter 6. Some of you are a little lost. I know that's in the New Testament, but you can go ahead and turn there. I know you know about your New Testament. Chapter 6, beginning in 31. So don't worry about these things, Jesus said, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's a promise. Jesus, these are red, red words. This is Jesus speaking. This is what he says, if we seek first the kingdom of God, everything else we need will be added to us. Do you stand on tiptoe looking for that? 
That's God's provision. How about his all things together power? Romans 8, 28. Some of you have memorized Romans 8, 28. Where he says this, and we know that God causes, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is always at work on your behalf, whether you happen to see it or not right now. He is working together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. That's a, boy, that's a stand up on tiptoe. Now, you can make wrong choices that would be sinful, that would have bad consequences. But let's say that you aren't making those kinds of choices. You say, I don't know whether to go left or right here. What does the Bible say? Can you make a wrong turn? Because God will use all things. How many fall under all? How many things fall under all? All? God will use all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we just don't know which way to go. And God says, we're good. <laughs> Whichever way you go, it may work. Th things may work out differently, but he will use it together for good for you. What a great promise he's given to us. Ephesians 1.3. I think all these are going to be in the New Testament, so if you want, you can just kind of put your finger over there and we'll hang around in the New Testament for just a minute. Because some of you aren't sure that God really made promises in the Old Testament, but you're pretty sure he made promises for you in the New Testament. So that's fine. We'll look in the New Testament. Ephesians 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us what is the tense of that verb? I know we've talked about this before, but this will be on the final. Has blessed us, past perfect. There's a past event with present implications. Who has blessed us. Do we have blessings right now? Yes. Why? Because he has blessed us in the past with every. How many spiritual blessings has he already blessed us with? Every. Every blessing, spiritual blessing, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Can you think of a spiritual blessing? You can think of it to yourself. Can you think of one? You already have it. It's in the vault. You can write a check on it. It will clear. You can trust God. You say, I need... Mm, What's one we all love to talk about? Patience. I need patience. Remember, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a bad thing. We've made patience. Oh, I don't want to patience. I don't want to pray for patience. Why not? It's a fruit of the Spirit. If I need patience, he's already given me his patience. It's in the bank. I just got to write a check on it. 
and say, Lord, I don't have the patience for this person or this situation. That's okay, Bill. I do. You write the check. I'll cash it. I'll give you the patience you need. It's already there waiting for us. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Those are, that's a promise from God to you. How about his transforming work? Philippians 1.6. And I am certain, Paul writes, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is a promise God has made to you. You think, you know, he hadn't done anything in my life for a, you know, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. Yeah, he's just not involved in my life. He isn't doing anything. Well, shall I read this verse again? Because this is what the inspired word of God says. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is at work in your life right now. You say, well, I don't feel it. We're not talking about feelings. We're talking about truth. And here it is. This is what God is doing in your life. Let's see if God has another promise for us. Oh, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Sounds like it should be an Old Testament book, but it isn't. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. The author says this in verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. The Lord is my helper, my companion. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You know, there's, it's so interesting. At the end of Psalm 23, the Lord prepares a table in front of whom? Have we talked about this one? What? What? Have you just stopped to think about this picture? Here comes the horde of enemies. And the Lord says, let me prepare a table for you right here in front of the enemies. Watch me take care of them for you. Have a seat. Would you like another piece of steak? Go ahead. You're safe and secure with me. I got this. He prepares a table for me, a banquet table for me, in the presence of my enemies. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. Another great one, Hebrews 7.25. I know you know this one too, especially because we went through the book of Hebrews. 
and you're not allowed to forget anything. So Hebrews 7.25, the author is talking about the Lord Jesus, and he says, Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What is the Lord Jesus doing for you and for me without ceasing at his Father's right hand right now, praying for you? And if I had a choice, Bill, will you pray for me? Or Jesus, pray for me? (laughs) I'd be picking Jesus every time. Jesus is praying for you without ceasing. He knows exactly what your situation is. He knows exactly what you need. And he's praying that it would be fulfilled in your life. Faith and dependence on him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He's speaking of us. These are just a smattering of some of God's promises for us. Are you standing on tiptoe for these? His provisions, his all things together power, every spiritual blessing, his transforming work in your life, his companionship, His constant prayer. How about James 1 through 5? You know this passage well. How about wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And God says, bummer, dude. I'm wise and you're not, and you can't have any. Oh, that's not what it says. (laughs) He gives. He gives wisdom. Sometimes I think we, the promises we want are ones that directly um, benefit us rather than thanking God for some promises he's made that reflect his character. You know, Daddy, I don't seem to have the provisions that I need right now, but I can thank you that you know that and you are working And I will have what I need when I need it. Would you help me to have faith and walk with you? How can I turn a a request into a thanksgiving for part of who he is and how he always treats me? This is David. He's looked around. They've lost land. He's gaining the land back and he's securing the borders and he's asking God, Fulfill your promises for your people and for me. Please, fulfill them. Do you think, well, I mean, I think you're going to answer yes, and that's the right answer. Does, does God delight in us holding him to his promises? Yes. Yes. And we go, ooh, I can't hold God to his promise. (laughs) He said, I gave it to you. Am I a liar? 
No, but maybe you don't want to. Why wouldn't I want to? Do you want to ask me? Will you ask me? And sometimes just because we ask, we don't receive because God says no. I get that. But sometimes I think we don't even ask. I think we need to ask. If he says no, he says no. He knows what he's doing. Expectantly pursue God's promises. That's kind of chapter 8. At least the context for 8. Second thing David does, you've seen it throughout uh, 8 and 10, David dealt decisively with his enemies. There were enemies to David's country. Some were old, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Edomites. I will spare you the Mosquitobites again tonight. It is still funny. Some were old and some were new. The Arameans. Where are they from? What are they doing? And so there's a little map here in your notes. And so Aram is right up here. So this is Aram. So if you wonder, well, where is Aram and why are they helping the Ammonites? Well, because they're neighbors. And so David is fighting in every single direction here in these chapters. So some were old, Philistines, Amalekites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. Some were new, the Arameans. How did he deal with them? One at a time. He dealt with them on every front. And though he had the help of Joab and the entire army, he eventually, in chapter 10, had to engage the army personally. Or had to engage the enemy. Had to engage the enemy personally. Now there's a very strange little verse that you're going to be mad at me if I don't address, and so we're going to look at it. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. David also conquered the land of Moab. He made the people lie down on the ground in a row, and he measured them off in groups with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. The Moabites, who were spared, became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. This is a man after God's own heart. Is that, well, should I be carrying a rope around in my pocket? No. What's going on here? One, not exactly sure. Two, here's what we think. Uh... Ruth was a Moabitess. I, shouldn't he have done nicely by the Moabites <laughs> um, just because of that? Evidently, that wasn't a big enough reason. Uh, he put his parents into the care of the Moabites when he was running around from Saul. Uh, shouldn't he have... <laughs> Maybe gone easy on the Moabites because they helped him out of a jam. Maybe he did by not killing them all. Uh, I think the key is in Numbers 24, 15. 
you couldn't have forgotten this one, right? Numbers 24, verse 15. This is in the message that God gave to Balaam. 24, verse 15. I'll start in 12. Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. Now I am returning to my own people, but first let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people in the future. Verse 15, this is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of the man whose eye sees clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, etc., etc., etc. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab's people. Cracking the skulls, uh, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be taken over and sear its enemy. Do you see in chapters 8 and 10, this is coming to pass? This is what God said the Davidic ruler, who will be the Lord Jesus, but who the tip of the iceberg that we can see is David. David is beginning to fulfill these things. That's what's going on. Why did he do this to the Moabites when they seem to have been so nice to him? Because they're beginning to fulfill the prophecy that the Lord gave hundreds of years before this, that he will crush Moab's head. David actually was gracious to them, and he spared a third of them rather than wiping them all out. So actually what David does in chapter 8, though you and I would say egad with our modern sensibilities, this is actually something merciful and gracious that David does in light of this prophecy. But I believe that's why he does this to Moab, because these things are beginning to be fulfilled for that Davidic ruler that God said is coming. David is that man. So David dealt decisively with his enemies. What does that look like for us? Well, the enemies of David's country, and uh, we've talked about, then there are the enemies of man's soul. And you say, oh no, don't bring that book out again. (laughs) It's been a while since we've talked about this book. But it's still on your shelf waiting for you to read it. (laughs) There are many wonderfully horrible chapters in here. Uh, You can flip through it at your leisure. Uh, Like under judgmental spirit. Yeah, I don't like that one either. Judgmentalism is what he calls it. Um, 
then he, he kind of goes from judgmentalism to a critical spirit. I'm not going to read that to you. It's way too convicting. Uh, a critical spirit. Don't forget about this book. It's not the Bible, but it's really good. Uh, it's called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Um, what are the enemies of man's soul? We've discussed many of the chapters in there before. I leave them to you to read through and which ones connect with you. Uh, are you dealing with your old enemies? We've talked about some of these before. Approval, popularity, significance, anger, impatience, etc. Are you dealing with new enemies? Busyness, distractions, unforgiveness, etc. You know, there's another one running around. Um, contentment? Uh, it's lack of contentment? Who, who are you calling into question with your lack of contentment? And me, too. <laughs> lack of contentment. Who am I calling into question? God. You don't know what you're doing. And what you've provided for me is insufficient. And I don't like it. And you should change it. Because you're wrong. When we lack contentment, we're kind of we're kind of doing one of these to God. I do it too. But we got to remember who it is we're really speaking at. Have you learned that making treaties, treaties with your enemies only leads to humiliation and betrayal like the two ambassadors who had their beards shaved? Yeah, did they get them shaved this way? Probably not. That wouldn't be very humiliating. So they got shaved this way. <laughs> so they had one smooth face side and one beard side. And then they cut their robes. Some people think they may have just cut a hole out of the back, which would be bad enough. <laughs> Others think they went ahead and gave them a mini skirt, and they just... <laughs> Just right across here. Your robe went almost to the floor, but if it now it just hits you at the waist. <laughs> Woo. Making treaties with your enemies only leads to humiliation and betrayal eventually. Are you coming against them one at a time, personally and intentionally? In the Spirit, you have no power to defeat these enemies, but the Spirit of God does. So we've got to keep throwing ourselves on Him in dependence and faith and asking Him to do what only He can do. David dealt decisively with his enemies. Part of being a man or woman after God's own heart is dealing decisively with our enemies enemies, the enemies of man's soul. 
I didn't like Cody's application question on point one today, if you heard the sermon. Does your life show that you're walking with God? That's a paraphrase. Probably wasn't exactly that, but it's pretty clear. How does? Yeah, you're, how does it not? Or how does it? Yeah, if you can be specific. Yeah, how does it? It's a good question. David dealt justly and fairly. And so now we're going to kind of flop back to chapter 9, how David dealt with all men. He dealt with them justly and he dealt with them fairly. He lived to please God first and then men accordingly. And we saw that even when he was dancing on the way of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He properly used his power and influence for good and for godliness. And his God-first lifestyle was recognized by men and honored by God. The best example of how David dealt with all men justly and fairly uh, is one we're going to talk about in just a second, so let's talk about this first. How we deal with all men. Do we deal with all men justly and fairly without favoritism? So here's where one, one thing that at least I'm guilty of, maybe you are too, I don't know. Um, how do you speak of those who aren't in the room? And do you speak about other people who aren't in the room to people who are in the room with you? Because guess what you've just taught that other person? That's what you're going to do to them when you're meeting with the other person, is you're going to talk about them when they're not in the room. Do we deal with all men justly and fairly and without favoritism, showing honor and allegiance to the absent. In case you're wondering, this is like the source of gossip, just in case you're wondering. That's in the book. Gossip is in this book. It's also in this book. <laughs> but do we deal with all men justly and fairly without favoritism? Do we live to please God or to please men? Do we use our power and influence for good? Do we live without or with pretense? Are our lives above reproach in private as well as in public? Most of us are pretty careful in public. How about private? Am I above reproach in private? Am I dealing justly and fairly with all men? David also treated men with kindness. 
and how he treated Mephibosheth in chapter 9. An amazing story. David, chapter 9, verse 1. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Not for that person's sake, but for Jonathan's sake. He finds out about Mephibosheth. And so he pursues him in mercy and grace. Can you imagine Mephibosheth meeting David? You finally found me. I've been playing hide and seek. You're the king. All the rest of my brothers are dead. There's only one heir <laughs> under Saul left. His name is Mephibosheth. He can't run away. David would like to see you. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> can't wait to go have that meeting. What does he find when he gets there? David says, don't worry about it. He calls Mephibosheth from a place of no inheritance and living in fear to living in the palace with him. David took Mephibosheth into his own family, provided for him, protected him, and treated him as one of his own sons. This is amazing what David did. This is another reason why he is a man after God's own heart. We need to treat all men with God's kindness. Why? Because this is how God has treated us all the days of our life. The son of David pursued us every person in this room in mercy and grace for his father's sake not for my sake for his father's sake and you say well what second timothy chapter 1 verse 9 love this verse one of my favorite verses 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writing, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Why did God pick you? Why did he pick me? Because he wanted to show the world Christ through you. Did he do it because you deserved it? Nope. <laughs> and for some of us, far from it. But the son of David pursued us in mercy and grace. For his father's sake, David came to our door and knocked on it. 
the son of David, called us from a place of no inheritance and living in fear, fear of death, Hebrews 2.15, the natural man, the unbelieving man or woman lives their whole life in fear of death. And they've concocted a lot of ways to try to get rid of that fear. But they live in fear of death. He took us from that place to living in his palace. Jesus said, if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and get you so you'll be with me. The son of David has taken us into his own family, providing for us and protecting us as one of his adopted brothers. If, if this doesn't cause us to kind of run out of here and celebrate and worship, something's wrong. Here is the, here's a little human picture of what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have done, spiritually speaking, for every person in this room and every person around the world who calls on the name of Christ. This is what he's done. One day he came and knocked on your door, said, you have nothing to offer me, but I have everything to offer you. I can't even stand up to meet you. I've got nothing that would endear me to you. My father is a renegade. My father, the king, whom I've been born into his family and served my whole life, has me living in a crummy little part of Israel, biding my time and waiting to die. And David comes and knocks on his door and says, I've got some good news for you. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to love you here to be kind and gracious to you and adopt you into my own family. Come eat at my table. Be a part of my family. Live in my palace. This is what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And I can't even explain it in words, but this little picture is such a poignant picture of New Testament truth. Read it again and again and again and meditate on it because this is how the Lord has treated you and how he's treated me. Called me from a place of no inheritance and living in fear to living in his palace. Can you even imagine what that would look like? What that is like? I can't. taken me, taken you into his own family, providing for us and protecting us as one of his adopted brothers or sisters. You're in the family. He has decided to take responsibility for you. Amazing. Lord, I don't deserve it. I know. I know. Didn't ask you to. Quit trying to prove it to me. That's not why I chose you. 
I did it because I love you. And I wanted you to be with me. Unbelievable what the son of David has done for us. Treat all men with God's kindness because of how God has treated us. And how should we then treat others with love, undeserved mercy, grace, and patience? It's a good time to remind you, mercy is withholding what I do deserve. What do I deserve? Punishment. What has God done? In mercy, he has withheld judgment from me. Grace is you give me what I didn't deserve. Mercy, you withhold what I did deserve. Grace, you give me what I didn't deserve. So in mercy, he withholds judgment, and in grace, he gives me everything. They're not interchangeable words. God deals with us in mercy and in grace and patience. And so how should we treat others? With love, undeserved mercy, grace, and patience. Romans 12, 9 to 21. Some of you know Romans 12, 18. As far as it's possible of you, live at peace with all men. That's hard. I didn't say that was easy. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. Treat all men with God's kindness. Question for tonight. Are you following hard after God's own heart? Are you looking forward are you looking toward faith's horizon on tiptoe, expectantly pursuing God's promises for yourself each day? Are you dealing decisively with your past and present enemies one at a time? Are you dealing justly and fairly with all men? And are you treating all men with God's kindness with which he's always treated you and always treated me? Where and how might be good for you to meditate on that this week and ask. Where and how? For next week, Read 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We'll take another snapshot from the life of David. A little bit different snapshot this time. And we'll talk about that. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you for this um, small uh, picture of of. David, of a, of a human being and how he walked with you and how he treated others because that's how you had treated him. And, and Father, it just points us to the son of David, to the greater David, to your son, the Lord Jesus, and the inexpressible ways that he has moved into our lives and invited us into your life eternal life.
um, we are in awe of you. And all we can do this evening in our spirits is just worship you and thank you. So we do that tonight, uh, even in this room and on our way home. Uh, would you help us to worship you in spirit and in truth? Um, even though it's not a regulation church service, would you? <laughs> we want to worship you and say thank you. We love you. We pray for your continued work in our lives. You've promised that you will do that. And so we ask you to continue it, please. Make us more like Jesus every day and every week. We ask you for this because you've said we could, and so we do, in faith and in dependence on your spirit and your word to make it happen. And we ask for it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in a week.